0: So, we're going to give just a kind of a brief summary of our testimonies, and uh, then we'll move on into some exciting pictures. So, uh, I was raised Catholic. My parents are sitting right down here, and they did an amazing job of instilling a high moral focus deep into my heart. I knew a lot of the basic Bible stories, you know, Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, the crossing of the Red Sea, things like that. But I didn't know a lot of the details of those stories. And I didn't know how they fit into the big picture of the Bible. I honestly didn't even know that the Bible was just one big story. It was more of, Catholicism for me was more of a, a set of rules and a heritage. You know, I was Catholic because my parents were Catholic, and they were Catholic because my grandparents were Catholic, and so on. I started questioning everything kind of late in my teens about what I had learned in church. I didn't really go looking for truth because I I really didn't know there was truth to look for. I just knew that what I had been taught in church, I just wasn't real sure about it, you know. When Stephanie and I got engaged, we met a couple who took us under their wing and started discipling us. And a little bit before we got married, he shared the gospel with me, and by God's grace, I was saved that day.
1: And for me, on the other hand, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were youth pastors. Um, so I heard all the stories. I could quote scripture. I was in Bible quizzes, um, things like that. Um, but it wasn't until I started to, in my teens, started to like want a re- like relationship for myself for the Lord. I got saved when I was nine, but around the time... At 15, I just kind of was done with God. I didn't, know, I didn't know how to have a personal relationship. It was, yes, it was like church, but it was almost like a routine. I just went to church, because my parents went to church, and we went, when the doors were open, you better be there. Um, so I just decided to be done, and I was like, I don't know what to do, so I don't know how to walk, so I just, and I, and I walked away from the Lord when I was around 15, and, and that's when I met, met Jake was while I was away from the Lord. So when I was 17, we met, and um, then when, we were ni- when I was 19, we got engaged. And when we got engaged, it was then that I felt for the first time, like, any slight of, like, conviction or, like, anything. Um, I could hear my old pastor telling me, like, you have to be equally yoked. And so I was like, we need to go to church. And at that point, we were living together, but just remember, unbeliever away from the Lord, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> So just wanted to like clarify that. Um, and so I was like, we need to go to church. And he was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not going to happen. Like I've been there, done that. I don't want to do church. And I was like, well, I'm going. So the next week we went to church. Um, and so we, I was raised very like holy rolling tongue speaking, hallelujah, running up and down the aisles church. And he was raised Catholic. So I Didn't want to go to a Catholic church, and I thought I'd terrify him if I brought him to my church. So I found a guy that I worked with that had been begging me to go to church, and I said, "Well, what kind of church is it?" He said, "Well, it's a Baptist church," and I was like, "That's kind of in the middle. Like, okay, like, I don't know." So we went, and that's where we met. Our first Sunday, we met this couple who was at the same stage of life as us. Got engaged on Valentine's the same year, a month earlier, and but they were walking with the Lord and living in purity, and um, and they just we didn't know we were being discipled. We just thought, oh, we have friends and they would hang out with us. And, but man, they would to hang out with us a lot. Like, I didn't know we were that cool. Like, um, but really what they were doing was they were seeing that if I, if I was not occupied, I was going back with my old friends and just doing my old life. And so they just continued to speak truth to us. And, and then, like I said, two weeks before we got married, Jake, Josh, um, led Jake to the Lord and he came home and he was like, I was like, how's the bachelor party? He was like, it was fun. Like, we were in the basement of the best man's mom's house, and we watched Star Wars. And that was, oh, and I got saved, and that was it. And I was like, what? And uh, the Lord did a 180 in his life, and it was through his life that um, God started to softening my heart back to who he was, and he brought me back back. Okay, I went back to him slowly. He never left me. I just went, like he never left me. But I decided that I wanted to go back into his arms, and so then we got married. And throughout our marriage, we were still being discipled. We were going to church. We were people were just loving on us and giving us truth. And and then it was about well, it was four years ago almost. um, Our friends, the same friends that led Jake to the Lord. Went um, and they invited us to come to their Bible school that they had gone to, and they're like, just come, like, experience a little bit, like, of what we did for two years. And we're like, okay, we need a vacation. So, like, we packed up the kids, and we went up to Michigan to the Bible school there. And it was there in the class. We were sitting in Romans, and I just started crying. And I left the class crying, and he was talking about God's will for our life. And I left, and I knew in my heart that this is what he wanted us to do. And, but I, I was, I had, to, I was grieving, I was grieving our life, like, what is my kids going to do? We were going to take them from their grandparents. We had a business, we had a home, like, but Lord, like, what are you, why? I'm so confused. What are you doing? And, um, and it was so that we, so we talked about it. He felt the same way. We were on our way home from Michigan about four days after that. And we were driving into the state of Missouri, and I was just crying, and I was like, I just wish I could have a sign, Lord. Like, can you give me a sign? This is really what you want. And, like, we both, like I looked up, and right, bright yellow billboard, not even kidding, it said, looking for a sign? Here it is. <laughs> and I, like, laughed, and I cried, and he was laughing, and I was like, I mean, it was a billboard advertisement, but, you know, God has a sense of humor. I thought, I was like, okay. So we went home, and that was in March of 2016. April 2016, we listed our business. We listed our home. And in August of 2016, we packed our family, and we moved to, um, to Jackson, Michigan, and started this journey into missions. And so we've been in training for the last four years. and But it was at the Bible school, really, that we seen the need, and our hearts were broken. And it wasn't until this morning, so I kind of popped into the little kids' class, because <laughs> we just needed somebody in there, and so I was like, I'll do it, I'll just read, you know, I'll talk missions to them, to these little kids, and we're talking, and this little girl, <laughs> Olivia, um, she was like, just wanted to, she was like, so, I was like, yeah, you know, like, God, God is calling us to go over to the other side of the world, and Olivia's like, well, how do you know when God's talking to you, and I was like, that's a deep question (laughs) okay and then I was like you know I felt like at the Bible school listening and digging in his word it was like evident that he's calling all of us into missions like he tells all of us to go into all the world but this particular like he was using God's word and that's how he was speaking to us that it was supposed to be us that went to the other side of the world and then Eric was like, I'm glad that wasn't my family. <laughs> and I said, Eric, let me talk to you. Like, the, God did talk to your family. And it was before you were born that God called them from their town. They packed their house, and they moved here to Lebanon, of all places. So it's like he's not calling us all to go overseas, but he is speaking to all of us through his word. Um, that was totally off the notes because it happened this morning. But anyways, so yeah, so some, today we're just going to talk to you about a little, and we want to be interactive. Because like, yeah, so Jake...
0: So yeah, like she said, just we want this to be kind of interactive and a little bit fun. And uh, some of you might be unfamiliar with some of the topics that we're going to talk about, some of the words we're going to say, and we understand that. We're not, we're not trying to say that everybody should know all of these words and topics. But I encourage you just to take out your bulletin to that blank page, get a pen out, and have it handy. Anytime you hear a word or a, a topic or a, uh, anything that you don't quite understand, write it down. And then when you leave here, don't let it get lost in the bottom of your purse or in the abyss of the minivan like it does with us. Keep that and study it for yourself. Study those topics for yourself. Go to Andy. Go to Luke. Come to myself. We'd be glad to answer questions, talk things through with you.
1: Because there's there's Christianese and then there's also missionese. Like... You know, like, we have Christianese, and we think that, oh, people know these words. But then there's also words within missions that's, like, we kind of say them because it's, like, part of our nature, and it's, like, missionese. So it's okay if you don't understand missionese.
0: Right. (laughs) So let's get started. How many of you have moved to a new place where you didn't know anybody? Or maybe you only knew one or two people. It's a bunch of you. Good. All right. So first you have to get to know the town, right? Right. So what are the good restaurants? Where am I going to get groceries? What's the best price for gas? What gas station do I go to? You know, what roads are busy at what parts of the day? And are there shortcuts to get around them? And how do I avoid the train? And all these things you got to get used to in a new town. What about the culture? Is it a basketball town or a football town? See, Stephanie's hometown is a basketball town because her school doesn't have enough students to make up a whole football team. (laughs) Are the stores all closed on Sunday, or are there a few that are open? Or do they kind of treat Sunday like every other day? That's all part of the culture of the place you live. And what about the people? Are they a tight-knit community, or are they more task-oriented? See, we lived in Springfield for a while, and we lived about three miles from the Walmart. But it would take us an hour, invariably. Every time we need to go to Walmart, it's going to take an hour because of traffic, stoplights. A, a wreck trying to find a parking spot. Once oh, you get man. in, you can get in and get your stuff and get out pretty quick. But then you got the same traffic on the way home. Then when we go down to her hometown of 600 people, it still takes an hour to go to the grocery store. Even though it takes 3 or 4 minutes to get there, once you get in, you start walking around and you see someone and you stop and you talk because you know everybody, right? Are they welcoming people? Are they glad to have new people in the town? Or are they kind of set in their ways and they don't really want any outside influence? There's a lot of things to get used to. How do you go about building relationships in that scenario? How about this? How many of you have traveled outside the U.S. where they don't speak English? Good, a lot. I'm surprised. That language barrier, man, that's a booger, isn't it? So when you're in the store and you go to someone and you say, got to go to the bathroom. Where's the the bathroom? They're probably going to understand what you're saying, even though they don't speak your language. But then how are you going to react whenever they start spouting off in a language that you don't understand? Oh, you got to pee. Okay, go across the street, go down to the left, and then you'll see this alley on your right. Don't go down that alley. You go to the next building. (laughs) Go in there and ask them for a toilet. Don't ask for a bathroom. If if you ask for a bathroom, they'll send you to, to a place to take a shower. You don't want that. Ask for a toilet. And then once you pay the 15 cents, then they'll point you in the right direction. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're in a a puddle on the floor because your brain just exploded. (laughs) And what about traffic patterns in those places? Roundabouts at every intersection? Driving on the wrong side of the road? There's these signs on the side of the road. They appear to have rules and regulations, but nobody's following them. What in the world's going on? The culture is so much different, too, overseas. Where we're going, you can't use your left hand to, to give something to somebody or to receive something from somebody because of what they do with their left hand. I think uh, talk about that lack the of TP. <laughs> and uh, what about this? Ashley, what am I saying in Bulgaria? That's right. In Bulgaria, this means no. That's going to take some getting used to, isn't it? It's
1: Indonesian, it's a uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's no. So it's like, can I buy this? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then uh, we learned the hard way in Belgium that it is completely culturally unacceptable to ask somebody about money or about their profession. You just, you just don't do that. So those are kind of some, some funniest things. But what about if you go to a place where, okay, here we, it's, it's proper to have eye contact whenever I'm looking at someone you know, that's good, but what about if you go somewhere and you're talking to someone, you're asking a lady a question, and you're having eye contact, and little did you know that you are uh, inviting something that you did not intend to invite (laughs) with that eye contact. There's some major cultural differences around the world. Now imagine those two scenarios together. You're going outside the U.S., to a place that doesn't speak your language. And you don't know anybody there. And you're going there to live, by the way. You're not just going to visit for a, a couple weeks. You're going there to live. Some of those difficulties are what Stephanie and I wanted to get acquainted with when we visited our field a month ago. So Stephanie's going to give us a peek at what our lives will look like in Asia Pacific.
1: I push
0: up. Uh, down, I think. Ah.
1: There we go. OK. So this is just us leaving. Um, leaving kansas city and for us this is san francisco and i'd never been on the west coast so it was really cool but it was like just an idea of like the masses that here in the states are are, there's people just i don't know for a small town girl that was huge for me (laughs) and then this is stepping off the plane but before we go i want to go to this picture well I guess it's not there anyway so we'll just go to this video this video before we got on the plane in Malaysia we were sitting in the airport and we were surrounded and it was my moment of like we are not in Kansas anymore there was a whole group of people coming home from Mecca Mecca is a very large like it's a journey that most um, Islamic people um, go on Um, it's one of the like, the pillars of their religion, Um, and so we were we didn't, we were the only ones not coming home from Mecca on this plane, and everyone's wearing their white, they all have their hijabs on and their hats, and I had to sit and just pray, like, Lord, the fear that overwhelmed me, guys, like, was, was real <laughs> like and then I felt guilty then I was mad like how are you a missionary and now you're scared of people these people these are people these are souls and that's what the Lord was like showing me like these are I love them but this is coming off the plane here ah now it's not gonna play oh man what did I do? I shouldn't be running okay. so we were just coming off the plane and it's like well when you don't have one of those like tunnels you walk through you just walk into the heat of the equator heat and you stand out like a sore thumb like cause you're like a foot and a half taller than everybody <laughs> and we're just like following this mass we're like well we don't know are we I, we have no idea are we going to the mosque like we have no idea if they're heading to the mosque we're just like well they know where they're going so we're going to follow them um, and we get in and we're at the very end of the line and a guy comes out he's like foreign foreign we're like do we look that foreign like only white people ever that they've seen in a long time um and so they brought us over to immigration and and we were able to check into the airport um and this is a very this is like how we have like I always said like Springfield for example is like a Chinese restaurant and church on every corner this is every corner every corner five times a day they're filled with people they're calling and crying out to the only thing that they know is, is truth. And it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Um, not going to get emotional, but it's, it's so dark. I can't even explain the feeling of like, of the darkness. It's like a weight that I've never felt before. Um, when you're the only little light bulb in this dark, dark place, um, there's really no words that I can say to that. Um, when we, like a part of our life is this is like the orientation center. This is for the people that are coming onto the field. And these, this is the team. There's four, there's four of them um, that live there in the island, um, of, uh, that live there, and they're the ones that welcome us. And um, this is kind of where we have our team. This is like our only, there's no church, like, that we can just, like, hop into, so if we need fellowship, we meet here with other, um, other believers. Um, I, okay, there are churches, but if you don't speak the language, you're just going to sit there. So if you want, like, encouragement in your own language, that's where you go um, until you know the language. But I will say, the dark place, but the food. The food is so good. Um, and, yeah, it, and I, like, ate so much, but I actually lost weight, so that was kind of cool. But you eat so much food because they eat, like, so much rice. But I don't think it's just, like, not preservatives and stuff. So it was so, so, so much food, and they can do food right. This right here, this, like, jungly picture, that's a restaurant. And uh, just to give you guys an idea, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, like, a really nice restaurant. And it was, like, $2.50 for us to eat a, <laughs> a meal there. Um, and you, like, sit in, like, these gazebos in the wood. It's beautiful. It would cost, like, $50 a plate in the States um so I mean just life there again like grocery store you go into a grocery store everything looks different um but then you see beef you're like oh I think that's that's beef I know beef okay like but then you just dip it out I don't know if you can see it in this picture on the right but like they just have a scoop and you just dip your beef out into a bag and weigh it by the by the gram it's very expensive so you have to pay by the gram and it's it may be like a special treat (laughs) Um, but then there's like little, I mean, yeah. But they, these are like pictures we took a bunch for the kids so that they could kind of see what life is like. So we want them to know there's macaroni and cheese. It doesn't taste like macaroni and cheese, but it is macaroni and cheese. And then there's like corn. Uh, that's Elijah's favorite and vegetable. So um, and lots of ice cream. It's hot, and so they do ice cream well. It's, it's you know a plus. Um, and then school. It's like the schools there are different. Um, this is the school that Naomi will be going to, and it's a jungle school and they're only half brick walls. Um, and it's, I don't know if you can see in that bottom left picture, but everything's like just what they could find around the area, plastic tubing. Um, yeah, it's their jungle school. (laughs) Um, no like safety regulations or building regulations there. So that was really hard for Jake. To see how they build, and lack of building, Um, but that's one of the schools. Um, This is another. This is an international school. This was actually planted by the Assemblies of God um, as a ministry there to the um, international students um, and nationals. Um, This is where the big kids will go. Um, It's a more formal school, um, and it'll give us opportunity to learn language. So I mean, it's very westernized. Um, They they teach in English. which will give them a great opportunity to kind of have a good transition. Um, this will be Jasmine's classroom. This is Elijah's classroom. Um, this classroom is where they'll be learning um, Indonesi- the language. Um, this is an auditorium. They, te- they learn the language four days a week. And so that will be where they learn the language. This is just an auditorium. They have chapels every Friday. I didn't know this is the one we're showing. Okay, this is where the kids eat lunch. So, I mean, this is like a pretty nice facility. Um, this right here, this is one of our language helpers. These are uh, the people that have given their time to help us learn the language. Um, amazingly, amazingly nice people. Um, some are believers, most are not. Um, but you're rubbing shoulders with them day in and day out. Um, this, this is another opportunity for language. This is the more formal language study we'll be going through um, there's an idea of things are different. Like you got a stove there. Um, and it's, I was showing this to the kids downstairs and Eric was like, where's the oven? <laughs> and I was like, well, we're going to put, I'll show you. And then, so the oven just goes on top. Um, and it's on their two burner stove and that's how it, um, how it works. Um, these two ladies are, um, they're again, some of them are believers and some of them are not. These people are the ones that come in and they help you with your house. Um, Very cultural to have somebody come in and help you um, in your house. And so these are two of your house, two house helpers. Um, I don't know how to say their names. We just call them Ibu, which is Lady. (laughs) Um, These are some sights and sounds around the town. This picture right here is all those flip-flops. That's a mosque right there. So all of those flip-flops are people, souls that are just in there, just day in and day out, and we just... That's a gas station, not your typical gas station. most That's actually like a formal gas station. Most of them are just like a jug on the side of the road, and you pay a guy, and he gives your motorcycle some gas by the leader. Um, and then just the streets, the sidewalks are just different. Oop, wrong way, wrong way. What? Oh, he's saying I'm out of time. Okay. Shoes. Oh, that, that's me. So... So I had a different slideshow, but I think you put the wrong one in. So this is, but that's me. That's a cultural event. It's called a cream bath. It's amazing. And it's like $4. <laughs> they like massage your scalp and yeah. Anyways, and that's a menu. That's one of the restaurants. Okay. I don't know. I'm just going to turn this off. This was not. Okay. I'll just hold on. <laughs> <laughs> because I had some stories I wanted to share. That one with my other slideshow. <laughs> um, so we all have a bathroom story, and I'm not going to tell you my whole bathroom story, but their bathrooms are different. They do squatty potties. They don't do toilets that sit down. You, like, there's a hole in the ground. Um, and so you, um, yeah, you, it's interesting. And, and I went to this gas station, and I asked our driver who doesn't speak the language, and I Google translated, which doesn't always translate clearly, obviously, um, and I asked them, I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I said, toilet duduk, which means sit down. I want to sit-down toilet, please. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go, and I walk in, and I'm like, go, and all this, like, all these Muslim teenagers are, like, staring at us. And because we're white, like, we're kind of, you stand out. And they're, like, wanting pictures with me, and I'm like, I just want to go to the bathroom. And so I'm, like, taking pictures with these girls. Like, I'm like, if you knew who I was, you'd realize it's, I'm nobody special. Google me. I'm nobody but they think that they just don't see white people like hardly ever and so but I was like toilet du Duke and they're like no and I was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I hadn't experienced quite body yet and so they're like giggling like laughing and I'm like and I like walk in there they're like watch this American use this bathroom this is gonna be funny so they're like all laughing outside I'm using words I have no idea what they said but (laughs) that's what I think they said and i go anyways and i like i come out like a rock star like i just rocked that squatty potty and they're gone (laughs) i was like darn it but anyways so i mean just like little things that i'm like and then i was praising the lord the kids weren't there because i'm like i hadn't even thought about like talking to the kids about squatty potties anyways so those are just some that's just one of the fun stories that i was going to share
0: all right you guys don't mind staying a little bit longer do you so now that you've seen the, seen the sights and heard the sounds, let's uh, dive into the realities of ministry. So Andy, think of the first verse that you would go to if you met someone in Walmart and they started asking you how they could go to heaven. Okay, just think of it. And then I want you to take this Bible from the Galabro tribe in Africa, and I want you to find that verse and read it for me if you can. I know it's going to be hard. It's a, it's a tonal language, so... you forget it oh that, oh that's 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 right yeah see they don't they don't have the bible in their language that's what this represents all blank It represents the reality that there are people in this world who don't have the luxury of going to the bible for encouragement or correction or for hope You say, well, let's get on Amazon and order those people some Bibles. They've got them in hundreds of languages. Why not just pay a few hundred dollars, get them some Bibles? Well, it doesn't quite work that way. They don't just, it's not that they just don't physically have a Bible. It's that a Bible doesn't exist in their language. They're part of what's known as an unreached people group. So to be considered unreached, you have to be less than 3% evangelical Christian. And so this, that tribe falls into that category. If you're anything like me, it's a bit of a shock to kind of to learn that unreached people groups actually exist in the world today. But hey, it's been 2,000 years since the Great Commission, right? So surely there's not that many, right? So, h- how, many, how many unreached people groups do you think there are in the world? Just shout them out. Just take a wild guess. No wrong answer. Anybody? 6,000 unreached people. Man. Wouldn't that be sad if that were, this, that were the case. So, out of, out of that 6,000, how many people do you think that represents? 6,000 people groups, how many people are there? A few billion? Maybe? Okay, so I've actually got a list here that might help us with this. So, uh, Luke, would you care to come up here? So this is, uh, it's in about 12 point font, and they're listed a people group on one line. And can you just take this to, the, to them so that they can look at this for me? Yeah, what are you be doing? Take this list out there So and just let them pass it around. Okay. There you go. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. yeah just keep going there. Uh oh. There we go. That's all right. I think they get the idea. So that list right there, you don't got to do that. That list right there represents 2,300 or so unreached people groups. And that was done, the last best I can remember, that list was made in about 2005. So, how many people groups do you think there are today that are unreached? Now keep in mind, This was 2005, it's been 15 years, and missions agencies all over the world have been hard at work translating scripture. So do you think it's more, do you think it's less, more? Well today, it's widely recognized that there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world, representing 4.5 billion people, 58% of the world's population, part of an unreached people group. Now, out of that 42% that's considered reached, remember, they only have to be 3% evangelical Christian to be considered reached. The reality is that there are about 619 million evangelical Christians in the whole earth right now, about 8%. So going a step further, there are currently over 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups. And that word unengaged, that means that there is no missionary in that in that. Uh, people group. There's nobody trying to translate scripture for them. Over 3,000. Guys, this is mind-blowing. Why is this not common knowledge? Well, part of it is because of where we live, you know, in the belt buckle of the Bible belt here. (laughs) Do you know that there's over at least 56 Christian churches listed here in Lebanon? I think that kind of numbs us to the idea of unreached. Unreached is a foreign concept to us. Stephanie and I didn't decide to go into missions because we were called to Asia Pacific and we just dropped our lives and said, hey, we're going to Asia Pacific. What do we got to do to get started? That's not quite how it worked. We decided to go into missions because God broke our heart for the unreached when we were at Bible school and we were hearing about it every day. Sure, we started looking at Asia-Pacific for a number of very logical and practical reasons, but before we knew it, God took a little piece of our hearts, and He just planted it in Indonesia. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is going to break any of your guys' hearts today for the unreached people of the world. When we think of missions in Scripture, what comes to mind? Is it Paul and his vast missionary journeys? Is it the apostles and their obedience to go to all the earth maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Jonah and his uh, fight against that call missions can look different in different contexts so Nicaragua you can go and build houses that can be missions you can go to Bulgaria and help with a park and pass out gifts for the Cri- Operation Christmas Child yeah that's missions street evangelism in Mexico Yeah, sure, that's missions. These all fall under the umbrella of missions. They're the outworking of the church's heart for the lost. But what is the basis of missions at its deepest level? Why do we go on mission? Why does God send us on mission? Sorry. I think many would say that uh, expanding the kingdom of God is the ultimate goal, and I agree, that's true. But I think looking deeper at the entirety of Scripture reveals something much, much more personal. I believe that the basis of missions can be defined as this. God's active pursuit of the restoration of His fellowship with man. We see it all over Scripture. It's Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, the nation of Israel. It's all over. All these situations, man breaks fellowship with God and God seeks the restoration of that fellowship. All right, stick with me. I know that time is running short here, but I promise I'll get you to the Super Bowl. But why does God pursue us so relentlessly? I think Scripture gives us an answer to that, though it may not be explicit. So in Daniel 12, 1 and 2, uh, it shows us that in eternity, believers and unbelievers alike will have imperishable bodies. They'll have resurrected bodies. And then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that those bodies are imperishable. It means they can't die. Isn't that awesome for believers? Luke 16 tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is in Hades. He's in torment, and he asked for just a drop of water from Lazarus' fingertip, and he's denied. Revelation 20 is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible to really, truly grasp. This is where unbelievers are thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented for eternity, along with Satan. They have the same destiny. He's not the ruler of hell like some people tend to believe. So we usually speed through chapter 20, right? So that we can get to chapter 21. Does anybody know what chapter 21 is? That's like the headings on your Bible? Chapter 21, this is where we see the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, bride of the Lamb. These are all great, fun things to read about for believers, right? We like to think about our future as believers saved by grace. Make no mistake, we're not happy about the people who are not believers who are going to be left behind and not be with us, but I think we tend to think of them more of not with us. We imagine ourselves in the very presence of God, and we're sad because there's people that are not there with us. Hey, fellow believer, why so sad? Well, you know, I've got a friend who isn't here with us, so instead of, I've got a friend who's in the lake of fire Condemned to eternal torment Without the ability to die The lake of fire is much more serious Than just not with us in heaven Those who die without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ Will be resurrected into imperishable bodies Without the ability to die They'll be sent to the lake of fire To be tormented for eternity Without any hope of any relief Think about the, the man and the rich man in Luke 16, just begging, "Please send Lazarus down. Let him dip his finger in some water and just touch the tip of my tongue, because even that minor relief will be an amazing relief for this agony that I'm in. This is the gravity of reaching unbelievers. This is the gravity of reaching your coworker or your neighbor or your family member. This is the gravity of reaching even your worst enemies. Let me tell you something, though. My family and I, we're not going around the world to do missions because we're under some delusion that there's no unbelievers here. We're going around the world because we're trusting that the body of Christ, all of you, are going to get the job done here while we're gone. I'm not at all saying that any of you are not doing enough I don't know what your evangelistic life looks like but I do think there are probably some people in here right now looking at the clock wondering am I gonna eat Mazio's or Dickies barbecue for lunch you're here physically but emotionally you're already out the door my goal today is not to step on anybody's toes but I do hope the Holy Spirit is breaking your hearts right now. I hope that each one of you walk out to your car, drive a couple of blocks or a couple of miles, and then pull over and just weep, thinking about the lost. That's what I hope. Asia Pacific is 3% evangelical Christian. That means 260 million people there are headed for an eternity of torment in the lake of fire. Stephanie and I have decided that we have got to do something. As Andy and the band come up here for the invitation, I want you to think about this. The United States is 26.8% evangelical Christian. That still means 238 million people destined for eternal torment without the ability to die is your neighbor one of them are you one of them